was last to made a change, of course. But I'm still afraid to change, of course. Someone told me when it rains and pours. I've been thinking of sunshine. Tompkins, presented by Four Roses. Wow, do we have some good stories today. I'm hyped, man. I'm really hyped. I'm taping this on a Tuesday night. The Lakers and Miami Heat are in the third quarter of this game, so by the time you wake up and this drops tomorrow, we're either going to be one more win away from another LeBron ring, which I am a fan of and want to see, or the Heat will have tied things up at two apiece and make for a very interesting last couple of games. How's everybody doing? I am Ben Tompkins. This is Real Talk, and we are presented by Four Roses Bourbon. Uh, I am. Uh, listen, I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm in a much better mood. I really am. I really am. Okay, we got NBA Finals. We got college football. We got NFL playoff baseball. My Yankees won last night. Uh, I guess <laughs> they won on Monday night. Tonight, I think they're losing. Uh, I don't know. Little uh, real time update check, maybe later, maybe not. Uh, but yeah, it's been at least eight months since I fired up all three TVs at the condo, and it's been feeling pretty good. It's been feeling pretty good to have all those rolling and just watching sports, man. <laughs> it feels good. It feels really good. But enough about that. You're here for the stories. All right. The first one that I'm going to share is in strong contention for the craziest story I've ever been a part of. I mean, (laughs) this one is for the books. Remember the dude that had been shot in the leg that was riding in my front seat telling me about the string of armed robberies on Dixie Highway that he had committed? Remember that? And I'm sitting two feet away from him driving like, uh, you know, like I've never been nervous before um, doing this. But now my guard is up a little bit when this dude I just picked up from the Super 8 limping around with open wound bullet holes in his leg is telling me about all the people he put a gun in front of their face and robbed. You know, that's where I kind of go, oh, this is kind of fucking crazy, right? That one has dominated the holy fuck power rankings. But my man Danny in this first story, fake name, of course. All right, all anonymous, they always are, is about to really give that other dude a run for his money. An all-timer. We got an all-timer, and I cannot wait to share it, okay? I also had this other guy tell me a story that is seriously like something straight out of a movie type shit, all right? I swear to God, one of the funniest pranks I have ever heard. Devious, devilish, fucking savage, but goddamn, it makes for a great story, all right? Plus, I'm gonna get kind of deep and introspective for a moment after a conversation that I had with somebody's great-grandma, somebody's great-grandma out here vibing with me in the whip. 77 years old, this woman, smart as a whip, all right? And it just illustrates this parallel between young and old and the circle of life. And it made me think about a book that I used to read all the time as a kid. And I got kind of deep in my feels about it. And I'm going to share that part. Okay, so good stuff there. And then finally, we will end with another wild story about a crime one man has been accused of. He pleads innocence, but he's been accused of a pretty serious crime, a pretty heinous crime, despicable, to be honest. And this man's connection to ISIS. 
Yeah, fucking ISIS. Okay, <laughs> it's wild. All right, I'm 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 starting to do these episodes where. I'm just shooting for four or five of the best, the best of the best from the week that was, and I feel like I've got four here, three that are really good, a fourth that, you know, kind of just is the overarching, broad, kind of, uh, you know, make me think about life type conversation, and I love those ones personally, I really do, I mean, I'm like an intellectual, that's like food for my brain, you know what I mean, food for the soul, uh, but I feel like we got three really good ones, and at some point... I am going to end up putting together a comp, uh, a compilation, a compilation, basically, where we do like the best of the best. You know, I picked like the the five or six absolute best since we've been doing this. You know, over I don't know, it's October, man. It's October now, so you know, four or five months, and uh, and drop that. But these ones on this episode are going to be really good, and. Uh, <laughs> This first one, I swear to God, this is stupid lit, okay? I swear to God. So we'll jump into those in just a minute. First, I want to let you know that this Friday, this Friday, I've got a pretty special guest coming onto the show. Her name is Marsha Reynolds, and Marsha is an expert in organizational psychology, and she's the president of Covisioning LLC, an executive coaching and leadership development company with clients that include Hershey's, American Express, and AT&T, to name just a few. She's a life coach, actually was one of the first 25 people in the world to become a master certified coach. She is the author of four books, a public speaker. She's even got her own TED Talk, and she's going to join me on Friday, and we're going to dive into emotional triggers, okay? This is a topic that I'm very interested in. As I mentioned, I recently experienced a pretty big shift in mood, and that explains why I kind of haven't been doing as much content coming out, at least consistency, over the last, you know, three weeks, basically, right? I kind of hit a slump, right? I needed to hit pause for a second. But as I got over that and started to shift back towards the middle and eventually back up, now we're up, we're good, okay, we're good, don't worry, we're all good, all right, Uh, I started thinking like, I feel like, and maybe I'm alone in this, but I don't think I am, but, but I feel like oftentimes I'll have this moment of clarity a couple weeks into a slump where suddenly in my head, it's like I'm waking up to something, this big revelation where I'm going, whoa. Where did all this depression come from? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you guys know that I love The Big Short. Favorite movie of all time, okay? It is now solidified its number one status as my favorite movie of all time. So now I'm reading the book it's based off of by Michael Lewis, The Big Short. Michael Lewis, guy who wrote Moneyball, Liar's Poker, fantastic writer. But I'm just about to finish this book, and it really all comes full circle because Depression is like the 08 financial crash. Things can look great, right? Things can be looking up, no sign of slowing down, and then one day you wake up and you realize you skipped all the warning signs, you missed all the cues, and you're smack dab in the middle of a recession. Or, in this case, a depressive episode. How the fuck did I get here? What were the warning signs that I skipped or even missed completely altogether? That's what I want to know more about. That's where emotional triggers come in, my friends. The 08 crash, just like depressive episodes, it didn't just happen overnight. They might seem like they do because no one is paying attention. But there are precursors. There's always indicators, little things going on just beneath the surface or oftentimes even in plain sight 
but we fail to connect the dots until it's too late. That's what I want to learn more about and get better at, connecting those dots, recognizing my emotional triggers in real time, and learning better responses to these triggers instead of just realizing them later and then binge eating or drinking to stuff these feelings and this root cause of these gloomy feelings down and avoid dealing with them, right? Because we all know that's not very healthy, but sometimes that's what I do, okay? I, I don't know how you deal with it, okay? Maybe you just ignore it. Maybe you go on a shopping spree. Maybe you, I don't know, fucking beat your kids. Like I don't know how you deal with it, right? But we all have our ways of dealing with it. And, and more often than not, they're usually not the healthiest solutions to our problems, right? But sometimes it's easier to eat the double cheeseburger and large Cajun fry and large cherry Coke from Five Guys and then stop at Thornton's on the way home and grab a couple of your favorite candies and then go lay in bed and cry about it, okay? Not that I cry, but I have uh, partaken in an event like that once or two times in my life, okay? <laughs> I'm an expert, and let's just say that, okay? But here's the thing, is that's what I'm trying to improve, okay? It's like learning better responses to these triggers, recognizing my emotional triggers. And I'm not just talking about like triggers, like, you know, in the sense that people talk about, oh, they're triggered, and it's a picture of that dude, that meme where the dude is like literally veining and just like bulging in his neck and he's red in the face and he's like trigger trigger warning like no I'm not talking about like some political meme that has you triggered on Facebook I'm talking about trauma that you have endured in your life that then manifests itself in the habits and the decisions that you continue to make later on and when we talk about emotional triggers I want to clearly define that and have an expert clearly define that and also teach me some better ways that I can recognize these things when they're happening in real time, but also how to develop some better responses to these triggers. Now, my triggers are going to be different than yours, right? I've lived a different life than you have, and I've lived different experiences, but we all have emotional triggers. We all have things that make us go, Ugh, and we all have things that make us go, yeah, right? And so learning to learn what those are, that's a big part of like, like uh, just conquering yourself and and that's a big part of this as well you know what I mean so um they're there you know they're there trust me no matter how hard you try to bury them or forget about them or ignore them or act like they're not there they're there okay it's like I had a friend the other day he asked me this question he's a deep profound thinker okay and it was the quote of the week, honestly. I mean, I know I usually do a one-liner of the week from one of my writers, but this is the one-liner of the week. This is probably the one-liner of, like, 2020, to be honest. Because uh, this shit hit deep, and I wasn't ready for this, but it made me stop and go, oh, shit, that's good. That is good, okay? What he said was, he asked me, how can we expect to conquer anything in life if we first can't conquer ourselves? <laughs> Oh, <gasps> whoa, whoa, right? Holy shit. The holy fuck meter, just like jizzing out over at the 100 to 110. Okay, it's like, whew, wow, I got to almost say that again so that I can even try to attempt to comprehend how deep that is. How can we expect to conquer anything in life if we first can't conquer ourselves? That is the first step. Conquer yourself. 
before you even try to help anybody else. Okay? If that's not the realest shit that I've ever heard, I, I don't know what is. If you could figure out some ways to catch yourself slipping mid-slip and go, uh-uh-uh, not this time, wouldn't you want to learn how to do that? What to look for? How to connect those dots? Well, Marsha Reynolds did, and she's made a career out of it. So Marsha's going to join me on Friday, and we're going to do some poking around, all right? We're going to explore this a little bit. Emotional triggers. Should be a great time, and I really can't wait. It's real talk, baby. That's what we do. That's what we're about, all right? So a reminder, please, 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 my friends, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, also on Spotify, SoundCloud, Twitter, and Instagram, at BennyTomp18. Like us on Facebook, at RealTalkWBennyT. Um, for my Spotify listeners, I have begun to create a playlist of the songs that I use, because I know you guys listen to the intros to this, and you're like, damn, Benny T did it again, another fire fucking intro, okay? I have begun to create a playlist on Spotify uh, where you can go and you can look at all the songs that we use, so that I use. I say it like it's more one more than one person doing this shit, you know, it's, it's me, but I like to say we, just I don't know why. But um, the songs, the music that I use on this podcast, uh, it can be found, there is a playlist on Spotify, it's just called Real Talk with Ben Tompkins. And uh, that's where you can find all the music. So I encourage you to do that. Go listen to what I listen to. And uh, yeah, let's get the ball rolling because I am not getting any younger. All right. This story. Oh, my God. We'll call this guy Danny. Again, reminder, all stories anonymous. We're not here to out anybody. We're just here to tell some great fucking stories. I picked up Danny from Metro Station off of Poplar Level Road. If you know, you know. And I had no idea what this was. So when I pull up, and he has this devious fucking look on his face, I don't think anything of it. I just think, okay, here's a, how you doing? You know what I mean? Like, I, okay. So he gets in, and the ride starts like it normally does. You know, you having a good day? Yeah, what about you? Yeah, yeah. What are you getting into today? Oh, I'm trying to get into some trouble. <laughs> he does this really weird fucking laugh. What about you? I said, I'm trying to stay out of trouble, all right? He goes, <laughs> he doesn't just weird laugh again, okay? And he goes, well, I, I don't want to get in trouble for riding in your car, so... <laughs> and I laugh, you know? And he says, get banned for saying anything. I said, no, never, never, never. And this guy says, well, the thing about it is, I just like sucking dick. <laughs> Now, this is about the time where the people that I've told this story to already go, uh-uh, I'm kicking that guy out of my car. Like, Now, me, you listen, you know me. If you know me, you know this about me. I'm a really non-judgmental person. I am comfortable in just about any situation. Just about any situation. I have not really found many situations in life, and trust me, I have put myself in <laughs> circumstances that no sane person probably ever should. But I really don't get too uncomfortable. And I certainly wasn't uncomfortable here. But this is where most people do get uncomfortable. But I'm not most people. So instead of saying, get the fuck out of my car, or I don't want to talk to this person anymore, or being, you know, judgmental about the fact that some dude just told me he loves to suck dick, 
This is where I kick it into that fifth gear. I take it to a place where not many people take it to, you know? All for the story, right? So my mind instantly goes to how many, uh, what's the most you've ever sucked? (laughs) Okay. He says, about four just now. I go, what is that place? He says, uh, it's a movie theater. People like to get off and do things. I said, four at one time or four in a row? And he goes, hmm. Two guys around me at the same time, and then two others at other times. I said, well, that's cool, man. I mean, if that's your thing, I mean, fuck, you know. If dick sucking dick's your thing, fuck. Suck on the dick of the world, you know what I mean? He goes, mm-hmm, you got a big dick? And I'm like, do I? And he goes, yeah. I said, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, hey, real talk, all right, yeah. He says, do you want to get it sucked? I said, uh, I'm okay. He goes, all right. I was just asking. I said, I know, I know. I appreciate it. I'm all right. I I didn't even know they had places like that around here. Like still, you know, I thought that was like a outdated thing. He goes, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, they got glory holes too, if you know what that is. <laughs> In there or around town, I say. In there. Now, are you married or single or what's your deal? Oh, I'm married. Does your partner know that you go there? No. And this is, you know, listen, I made an assumption here, and maybe I shouldn't have, but I felt that it was a pretty safe assumption. You know, a guy just tells me that he sucked four dicks, I'm going to think that he's gay, right? Which is fine, right? Great. But that's just my assumption, right? Pretty reasonable. So I say, he doesn't take care of that for you? And his response almost floors me. He goes, oh no, I'm I'm married to a woman. And I have a straight roommate. They don't know. Neither of them do. (laughs) I go, oh shit. So he says, so it's just like, yeah, she's working right now. And I'm just going back home. You know, I'm like, nice, man, nice. He goes, yeah, they they don't know that I like to suck dick. Problem is, I just really love the taste to come, so that's about it. But anyway, I'm like, hey, man, you want to be a big gay slut? Go for it. Good for you, you know? Like, live and let live. What do I care, you know? Like, what do I care? I am pro-promiscuity. If a girl wants to act up, God bless her. And if this dude wants to suck every dick under the sun... God bless him too, all right? Somebody's going to be saying, God bless this man. Ain't going to be me, but to each their own. <laughs> that, that right there. It was like, seriously, probably a nine-minute ride. But in those nine minutes, that took it to zero to 100 faster than anybody that's ever gotten in the car besides my man that I picked up from the Super 8 that had fucking bullet holes in his leg that were dried scabs that were recent. That was crazy. But this story right here, I don't know. In the holy fuck power rankings, those are like 1A and 1B right there. They are neck and neck, man. So we'll keep you updated on the holy fuck power rankings because I know, I know you are just absolutely riveted, all right? As am I. I never know who the fuck is going to get into the car and what the fuck they're going to say, but nine times, uh, mm, 
not nine times out of ten. I'd say, I'd say six times out of ten, about 70 percent of the time, if somebody gets in and I start asking them questions, I'm gonna get somewhere that's interesting. All right, and uh, God, they make for some fun stories. Now, this next one, we're gonna call him the merchant. All right, the merchant. He gets in. And somehow we start talking about the trouble that we used to get into as kids. We start swapping some stories. He said he'd been kicked out of a couple schools, four to be exact, three high schools, plus an alternative school. He's about my age. I'm 28. He looks to be about, you know, less than 31, 32 years old, right? He said he used to sell weed, alcohol, lighters, fireworks, whatever young teenage boys could get their hands on, right? He had it for sale. Thus, earning him the nickname, The Merchant. Everywhere he went, he was proud of it. He was bragging about it. One of the schools tossed him out because they thought that he had a bomb in his backpack. (laughs) But it turns out it was just a couple mortars and a six-pack of Bud Light. Nonetheless, he was out. So I shared this one with him, and I'll share it with you now. Um, When I was in eighth grade, they used to have something called Gatorade Ice. You guys remember that? It was clear. It was actually fucking fire. Not ice punch. They sell that now. This was like its own line of products. I know they had watermelon. They had lime. I was looking on Google to see if I could find any of them. But really, that watermelon one, that hit. That was hitting back in the day, all right? I can't remember the other ones, but I vividly remember watermelon ice. And I'll never forget... I had, uh, I've always been, I love Four Roses bourbon, but I have always been a vodka drinker. That's what I came up on, cut my teeth on. It's still, if I'm turning up and we're, we're going hard, it's vodka Red Bulls till I die, baby, all right? But um, in eighth grade, you know, I got some shitty vodka or whatever, and I decide that there's some kid that says he'll buy it from me. And so I say, okay, well, I'll bring it to school and you can give me, you know, 10 bucks for this water bottle of Gatorade, and we'll call it a fair day. So he's like, okay, so I think this is a fucking genius idea, (laughs) to which the merchant agreed with me, which was kind of nice, but I take one of these watermelon ice Gatorade bottles, and I drink the Gatorade, but then I fill the rest of it, you know, I fill it with vodka, and I bring it to school in my backpack, and we used to if you got dropped off to school early, you know, if your parents dropped you off to school and you got there before a certain time, kids weren't allowed to roam the hallways. So everybody had to go to the cafeteria and kind of hang out until like, I don't, I don't even know what time school started in middle school, 8 a.m. at 7.30 when you could kind of like go and everybody could start to go to their lockers and to the classrooms and all that kind of shit. Well, we're all sitting in the cafeteria me at this table, and I, I can't, I, I can't remember who else was there. I can't even remember the kid that I was selling it to. That's how long ago this was, okay? But I remember a few people kind of huddling around and looking in my backpack because they were like, "Oh my god, the alcohol! Oh my god, vodka!" Like, and it kind of created this little scene, right? To one of the monitors who was standing up by the front of the cafeteria that saw seven or eight boys all huddled around going, okay, everybody else is sitting down, and there's something going on at this table. And they're all looking in this backpack. What's in there? What is that? What's Ben got in there? Uh Uh-oh. So she comes over, and she's like, Ben, what's in the backpack? 
And I'm like, well, do I tell her? Or she goes, is it porn? Do you have a pornographic magazine in your backpack? Is there Playboy in there? <laughs> and I don't say anything. I, I'm just, I'm not going to incriminate myself. I learned from seventh grade social studies about your refusal to incriminate yourself and assert your Fifth Amendment. <laughs> so that's what I'm like. I'm not going to say anything if she really wants to look in my backpack. Now, I should have told her that also I don't consent to searches, but since I'm on school grounds and I'm 13 years old, what the fuck am I going to do, right? She looks in the backpack and she pulls out this bottle. Like she's looking in there for what she thought was going to be a Playboy magazine, right? Oh, boys will be boys. Well, <laughs> she's looking through all this stuff and then suddenly she looks at this Gatorade bottle and she's wondering probably why it's filled to the brim. You know, probably looked a little sus. So she picks it up and when she opened it and smelled it, the face that she made at 8 a.m. in the morning, let's just call it 8 a.m., in the middle of a middle school cafeteria, not expecting to get the strongest whiff of some kind of an Everclear-like substance burning her nostrils, I will never forget how quickly her head recoiled from that Gatorade ice bottle. And it wasn't long before I was escorted to the principal's office and suspended for school from three days. And basically, it was the best three days of my life because at the time, my mom had this nice-ass Porsche 911 Carrera drop top, and she basically drove me around for three days while we I had nothing to do. I mean, what, what do you have to do when you're in eighth grade? You can't do anything, right? So I obviously couldn't watch TV. I was grounded, right? Air quotes. Um, but I pretty much got to go out to eat to lunch and got driven around in a convertible for three days. It was fucking awesome, okay? And so uh, I'm telling this guy this story. And he's like, damn, dude, that's, that's pretty good, man. That's that's a pretty good one, all right? Uh, but I think I got you beat, he says. I'm like, oh, shit, all right, all right. And you know what? To his credit, he was not lying. He was not lying. This had me rolling, and it kind of reminded me of that scene in Stand By Me where Lardass gets his revenge on those people during the pie-eating contest. Remember that? And he's just kind of sitting back watching the chaos unfold that he had created, and he's got this very pleased look, like he's very pleased with himself. Remember that? This was kind of like that, but way more savage. He says he wasn't a bully in school. He might have gotten in a lot of fights, but it wasn't because he was picking on people. Quite the opposite, actually. Many times, the merchant said, he would get in fights defending the kids getting picked on because, as he put it, they were indefensible and he would come to their rescue. That's pretty noble, all right? The people's fucking champ over here. I can get with that, all right? He said gym class was where a lot of this kind of shit always went down. He wasn't an athlete by any means. Him and the kids that he kicked it with used to sit in a circle at one end of the basketball court. They were the group that kids had to go around when they were playing basketball. You know what I mean? You, you remember those kids, right? And we laughed because the way that he described it was sitting in a smoking circle without the smoke, being being so young that, you know, you weren't smoking, right? Um, but he says one day, these kids that were kind of like the bullies, right, the athletes, the, the cool kids, whatever the fuck, they're acting tough, they're thinking they're hot shit. So the merchant decides to make a bet with these kids. You guys think you're tough? 
let's see how tough you really are. So he proposes that in order to see who the biggest bitch in the class is, they put Icy Hot on their balls, and whoever screams the loudest is the biggest bitch in school. Last one standing wins. There wasn't even a prize or anything really to win, just the sheer perception of peak masculinity and proving that you're not a bitch, which, as a 15- and 16-year-old boy, means the absolute world. So they all go in the locker room, probably eight, nine dudes, and they proceed to slather Icy Hot all over their balls. And what transpired, the merchant said, was a scene straight out of a fucking movie. Everyone was fine for about the first 15 seconds. Oh, this isn't bad. Another 15 seconds go by, and then the tingle started. And he said the looks on these kids' faces went from, this is no big deal, to grave concern, dire circumstances, real fast. Wait a minute, what's going on? Fuck, this kind of burns. The first kid to scream didn't even last a minute. Pretty soon, all of these boys are jumping from side to side, holding their danglers, running around the locker room, red in the face, screaming, sweating. He said one kid fucking puked, it was so intense. They run over to the sinks, and they're trying to throw cupfuls of water on their balls just to get it off. And he's sitting back the entire time, laughing his ass off. As I am at this point, imagining this scene play out in my head. So I ask, what about you? Did you scream? Like, how bad did that burn? That's the thing, he says. These kids were suckers. They just accepted the bet without even thinking about it. But me? Right before class had started, I had stuffed my pants with paper towels. So when they're passing the Icy Hot around, I took a glob of it like I was going to do it, just like everybody else. I put it down my pants, but there was no way I was putting that down there. I wiped it all off on the paper towels and acted the entire time. Played these kids like a fucking fiddle, he says. And now I'm laughing even harder because the thought of someone faking everyone else out and watching them freak out and sitting there going, oh, guys, it really hurts. Oh, it really burns. <laughs> like While all these other kids are doubled over, writhing in pain and rinsing their balls off in sinks. Kids fucking puking, okay? <laughs> it's like a scene out of the, it's like the Epicac scene from fucking Family Guy. That's something straight out of a movie, dude. And it's he kept on saying, revenge of the nerds, okay? But as these kids ran around screaming and crying, unbeknownst to them, him and the kids that he kicked it with, they couldn't contain their fits of laughter. Revenge of the nerds, indeed. How did it end, I ask? Well, those kids still hated us and called us names and picked on us. But they never got physical with us again after that. The boys all got detentions because when questioned, nobody snitched. And they all had to tell their parents what they had done, but no one singled out the merchant as the mastermind because they had no idea what he had done. They were all shook. They all thought that he had put it on just like them. And they probably still do. So he skated because it technically was all of their decision collectively and he didn't force anyone to do it. They willingly took the bet and made it a contest. They just didn't know it was rigged. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you fucking imagine? Bravo. Bravo, my friend. I mean, that is like two fucking claps. Ebert and Roper over here. Holy shit. Oh, my God. Ah. Uh.
Whew, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Score update real quick. Brought to you by Four Roses Bourbon. Why not? Lakers 86. Heat 83. Five minutes and 54 seconds remaining in the fourth quarter. This is going to come down to the wire, folks. Who will win? Will it be LeBron? One game closer. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> but I'll keep you updated because as we're taping this, it's Tuesday night. Tyler Hero is getting buckets, um, as is LeBron. But uh, good shit. Okay. This next one kind of hit me in the feels pretty hard. Okay? We'll call this woman Sandy. And something she said really hit me. Kind of struck me deep. This is a good one. Sandy gets in, and Sandy is 77 years old. Still out here kicking it, baby. My girl, all right? I ask, what are you getting into today? She says, oh, I have to go to get an imaging place and get a mammogram. Just a checkup or what? Yes, not expecting to find anything today. Well, that's good. That's good. Good. We talked about her kids. She wasn't from here originally. She told me about the places that she had lived, Indiana, Arizona for a while, and then she was involved in a really bad car accident, and after that, her son had been kind of close to retiring, so she just decided to move down to Louisville to be near him and his family. And she said it took her nearly two years to get over the accident, from being in the hospital, to the surgeries, to then being in PT, two years, start to finish. She said she had suffered three back fractures, three rib fractures, and a massive head injury. I was pretty lucky, she said. How do you, you guys like that uh, old woman voice? She really sounded like that. I'm trying my best to impersonate her, okay? Fuck you. <laughs> Were you wearing a seatbelt? Yeah, I was wearing a seatbelt, she says to me, almost as if to say, well, of course, you dumbass. What do you think I am, an idiot? I'm like, <laughs> well, that's good. Well, that's good. Yeah, but you know, when you bounce off of one inside of the bridge embankment and go across traffic and bounce off the other side of the bridge embankment and get hit by oncoming traffic, it's not just going to end up well for you. Did you get distracted or get hit or like swerve to avoid something or how did you get across the lanes? Well, I was having either blackouts or seizures and didn't realize it. I knew I might be having some little momentary blackouts here or there, but it didn't really register. So I had the feeling something was happening, and then the thought I was going to pull off the road. And then it all went dark, and at that point, that's when I hit everything. And I don't remember much of anything, just snippets, until I went to rehab. Wow, that is scary. And, you know, it's probably best that you don't remember anything and don't have to live with that image and that trauma, you know. But I'm glad everything ended up okay and you made it through all that. It's not easy to not only make it through just kind of the jarring, wow, I just got in a really bad accident type thing. And, you know, you said you didn't remember it. Some people might have nightmares or you just you never know how that's going to affect people moving on. But And then going through PT for all that time and getting your strength back and just doing super remedial tasks that didn't used to take you long but now takes you triple the time and and then it's like you're relearning how to do all of these little things tie your shoes walk up steps get in your car that's really challenging 
That's really tough, and you did it. And she says, I remember walking with my walker and watching a little child learning how to walk. And I said, I know what you're going through. (laughs) And that right there was the gut punch for me, or in this case, a heart punch, because that sunk a body shot straight to my soul, hit me right in my feels, right there, that image. And she says, but I'm really lucky to be here, and I keep remembering that every day. Thanks to the Almighty, I'm here. I get to enjoy every day. I could very easily not be here. That was it. But it's just one of those conversations. I mean, we talked a little bit more. You know what I mean? But like that wasn't the end of the ride. But that was like one of those conversations that just makes me realize what a gift life really is. Like a fragile, fleeting gift. And it illustrates this parallel of old and young people. It's like different phases of life, but your status is kind of the same in a way. Think about it. When you're young, like I'm talking a baby, right? Toddler. You're not able to take care of yourself. You got to rely on the help from others for nurturing, for food. You're dependent on everybody. But once you get to be grown, 18 years old and on, you're you're good for a while, right? Because you're independent. You can go places. You can earn your own money. You can make your own decisions. You can vote. Right? You can drive yourself wherever you want to go or get an Uber. Hey. <laughs> but once you get to be grown, but once you get to be old, and I'm not talking like midlife, okay, boomer old, all right? I'm talking like 65 plus, senior territory, right? Once you hit those points, your body starts to go. It starts to give out on you. Or maybe it's your mind that starts to go. But most of us, when we hit that age, have to, again, rely on others to get along. We once again, we once again become dependent on others. And it reminds me of one of my favorite books that I used to read as a kid with my mom. She used to read it to me all the time. It's called Love You Forever by Robert Munch. It's a wonderful book where there's a baby boy and his mommy, and she comes in when he's a baby, and she's rocking him back and forth, and she says, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. And she does this at different points in the boy's life throughout the book until he's a teenager and then he's a grown man at one point. But then towards the end of the book, eventually the mommy gets sick and the son comes up to be with his sick mother who can't even sing it to him anymore because she's so sick. So the little boy who's now grown into this man picks up his sick old mother and he's rocking her back and forth, back and forth. And he says the thing, as long as I'm living, my mommy you'll be. And that's the circle of life. That's the fucking circle of life. And here's Sandy, the 77-year-old woman who's been in this car accident and is learning to walk again, looking over at this little baby, learning to do the exact same thing. And that's a powerful image to me. It's like you and me, no matter what we look like, old, young, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, male, female, rich, poor, gay, straight, right? We can look very different. We can be at two totally different points in our life, and yet we can look across a room or a restaurant, and we can look at each other and go, I know exactly what they're going through when it's something that you're both doing and struggling with, 
And most of the time, that's just fucking life itself, right? That's not always super evident just looking across the room, but when you guys are both trying to do something, you're being humbled by it. Maybe you're doing it for the first time, whatever the case may be, my friend. That's the circle of life. That's the circle of life. You can look at somebody and just go, I know exactly what you're going through. I get it. I've been there. Fuck, I'm there right now. That's the human connection. Pretty powerful stuff. Sandy, my girl, 77 years old, keep on doing it, baby. Do the damn thing. All right, and final story of the day from Doug. We'll call him Doug. I picked Doug up from work, kind of a rougher part of town, Broadway, Dixie Highway area, and I'm taking him to where he lives over in the Beachmont area. Out-of-town listeners, if you're not familiar with the layout of Louisville, these are kind of what you would call the south end, west end of Louisville. Um, You know, typically higher crime rates, no judgment, it is what it is, lower median income, take from those statements what you will. Facts. Uh, Just real talk, all right? But I'm taking Doug over to where he lives from his work. And it looks like he literally just walked out of an abandoned warehouse. So I ask, what do you guys do there? Furniture delivery and setup. Nice stuff. Lots of people work there. Come from like the Congo. Got one dude from Albania. I said, how the hell does someone from Albania land in Louisville, Kentucky? Bad luck, I guess, right? (laughs) That's what he says. And we both start laughing. And he says, I thought I had a bad, but shoo, obviously. You know, he's just joking around, right? But after we stop kind of laughing at that, we're driving down Algonquin Parkway. And he got kind of serious and said, bad part is, they come over here, and this is the upside for them. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he says, especially now, they don't know what the hell is going on in Louisville, man. No one does. Fixing to be the murder capital of the world, shit keeps going on like this. So Doug and I talked for a few more minutes about the city and the summer that we just had. And then he lays a pretty heavy story on me. I'm talking pretty fucking heavy. The holy fuck meter... I'd say, let's just start doing the holy fuck meter on a scale of 1 to 10. I'd say this probably registers as about a healthy 7, 7.5. This is a pretty fucking holy fuck, all right? He says, I got a buddy, man, I work with. He's in a bad spot right now. His chick's grandma, or I guess his ex now, the chick he was with, her grandma, they got a kid. And she's got his kid, and she don't like him. And I think it's just because he's a different nationality, which is a bunch of shit, considering she ain't from here either, you know what I mean? Like, how are you going to be racist against somebody else that ain't from here, and you're not from here? That's just fucking stupid to me. But uh, she done him bad, for real, man. Accusing him of doing some shit that I know for a fact he didn't do. What did she accuse him of? She accused him of messing around with old girl's little six-year-old daughter. What? Fuck. Yeah, yeah. That's some serious shit, partner. And I would bet my balls that he didn't do it. You feel me? And I'm really attached to those. (laughs) I said, yeah, those are kind of important, (laughs) you know? And he goes, yeah, and he's locked up over this shit. And at one time, 
I would have persecuted the shit out of him because I'd done one of my mom's boyfriends like at one time. This man sat in jail for three weeks, and that little girl finally couldn't take the guilt no more. Said, I just lied because I didn't want to get in trouble for being late. Like, what? You said somebody snatched your house and felt you up because you didn't want to be in trouble for being an hour late? That's crazy as shit, man. That's somebody's freedom you're fucking with. And this is no fun jail. This ain't a vacation. The food sucks and the company's even worse. <laughs> that kind of didn't make sense to me when he said it. And I still like don't know if he was saying that his one of mon- one of his mom's boyfriends, like he did that to the guy. But then he said the little girl felt guilty. So I, I don't know what he was kind of talking about there, but... Anyways, we move forward with our coverage of this intriguing story. So, is he still locked up right now? Yeah, he's only been there for like a week, thank God. But I mean, th- this man ain't used to this shit, you know? He ain't from around here. He he ain't had no people over here. And I feel kind of bad for him, for real. I think he's a good dude, and I do not see him doing this at all. And I, I know how to judge a character, you know what I mean? I said, so is he trying to fight it or what? Yeah, but he he don't really know how. He barely speaks any English. He is like in a bad, bad spot, man. And then on top of it, he lived with this chick for more than two years. You know, and I heard him on the phone with her. Is baby girl okay? Is she doing all right? Has she ate? You bathed her today. I mean, he's treating her like his own daughter, you know. He just wouldn't do that. I don't believe he did it at all. So I say his chick or his ex-chick, whatever she is, where is she at in all of this? Is she not speaking up about this or what? what's her deal? Well, she just told her boss, I just can't lose my daughter. You understand? I just can't lose my daughter. I just can't lose my daughter. And that's all she keeps saying. And I think she's trying to tell us, but she can't lose her daughter. So she ain't going to come out and say it. My granny or or my mom is a piece of shit. Whoever's doing it, it's crazy, man. I'm like, man, that is super tough. Yeah, he's the one from Albania and shit. You feel me? I said, wait a second. This is the guy from Albania? Yeah, man, this, this guy has really had some bad luck, man. Same guy. He had fucked around and screwed up with ISIS and shit and got away from all that. Came here and now this. I go, ISIS? Fucking, like, ISIS, ISIS, the black flag's fucking ISIS? No way. Yeah, cuz. He said, ISIS goes around over there in all those little countries, and they're promising you all this money and all these women and this and that and the other, and coming from a poor family in a shitty country, his words, not mine, it looks pretty good, but... What they mean is you're going to go out and get us a bunch of money and shit like that and and you ain't getting squat besides getting shot in the head if you don't do what I tell you to do. So he had to run, literally run in the night from these people just to get over here and now he's getting screwed around by what I consider honestly a more evil force than ISIS. Like accusing somebody of shit like that? They don't treat you nice in jail for shit like that, man, at all. You know what I mean? Be somebody's girlfriend. All that tough shit can change your life, partner. I, our shit don't stretch like woman's now. Wrong bowel movement, fuck you up being somebody's girlfriend over there. Fuck that. 
I said, yeah, that'll ruin your day pretty fucking quick, I guess. Now, I don't know if um, on an evil scale, if that is more evil than ISIS. I'd say they're both pretty fucking bad, okay? ISIS and accusing an innocent person of molesting a small child just because you don't like the person. Those are both pretty fucking bad. So I'm not going to do a meter on that. But um, yeah. And you talk about bad luck, man. This is the same Albanian, right? The same Albanian. I had no idea that this is where this conversation was going to lead or land uh, when you know, we're talking about, oh, yeah, th- this guy I work with, he's from Albania. Bad luck, I guess, landing in Kentucky. Bad luck? Bad luck is walking out to a Kroger parking lot and realizing that you've got a flat tire. Bad luck is getting to the gym and realizing that you forgot your headphones at home on the charger. You know what I mean? Like, escaping ISIS, coming to America, and then getting accused of child molestation, that's not bad luck. That, I, I don't know what that is, but that, <laughs> I don't know what that is, but that is certainly worse than bad luck. That is where I leave you, my friends. We had four pretty good ones. I feel like those are pretty good. Um, come back next week. I will have Uber Stories Part 12. Come back on Friday where I will have Marsha Reynolds, the certified life coach. We're going to talk about emotional triggers. It's going to be great. And by the way, the final from the bubble, your Los Angeles Lakers, 102, the Miami Heat, 96. (laughs) Lakers up 3-1, LeBron one ring closer to the ghost of Michael Jordan. Not even the ghost, just the perception of Michael Jordan. An impenetrable brand in the sports landscape like we've never seen before. But here is LeBron banging down the door, baby. Oh, they're showing Jimmy Butler walking into the locker room. I don't know what Jimmy Butler had, but after he went all out in game three, I thought that he was probably going to come out a bit flat because even then, he dropped 40 points and, and, and went off. Like, no disrespect to Jimmy Buckets, the original Jimmy Buckets, right? But um, they barely got past the Lakers despite that performance from him. Like, it was tied... And the Lakers probably should have taken the lead and won that game, but they they kept on like flirting with it, like they like it's like the two cars on the highway. One's like kind of going faster to catch up, but then they kind of drift back, and then they catch up again, but then they kind of drift slowly back, and they can never push forward past the other car to win a race. That was like the the game uh, game three the other night. This game came down to it, close game, tied late. All the way through, I was watching actually um, on my iPad. I've had my iPad up, and I went to my girlfriend's volleyball game. And I, I mean, basically, because I'm the best boyfriend ever, right? You know, I have got these two conflicting game schedules, these game times. One is a beer league volleyball game, and the other is LeBron. And I'm like, baby, I gotta at least bring my iPad and watch from the stands, cheering them on, by the way. Don't let anybody tell you that I don't cheer on their team, okay? Uh, I actually take pride in sitting up in the stands and doing my best redneck impersonation. Uh, And the other teams, they're never amused, but I am, and that's all that matters. I live to entertain myself, and hopefully 
I know that I if I can entertain myself, I can entertain you and I can entertain other people. And most of the time I'm I'm pretty accurate in that statement. So I'll sit up in the stands and I'll say things like, Step on the neck. <laughs> and the other team, you know, they're they're like, Who the fuck is this guy? You know, this guy sucks. But I you know, whatever. I'm just cheering on my girl, who of course looks at me from where she's standing on the sand volleyball court. Like, oh God, why did I choose to bring him? And I'm just sitting up here with a big smile on my face. And I got parents that are sitting next to me who are watching their kids play. And it's not like, I don't know, parents coming to a volleyball game, uh, you know, we're not like 19 years old. You know, we're not like 15 years old. I don't know. My parents never came to any of my intramural football games or anything like that. And if I had one tomorrow, I probably wouldn't say hey mom and dad will you come and bring us juice boxes and sit up in the stand like but you know what regardless I, I shouldn't be ripping on that because they're my audience and they got a kick out of it the entire time the people that were sitting next to me so I I feel I feel good you know I'm not trying to take shots I'm really not all right I'm really not I gotta know what uh what Jimmy Butler had though and see if I was right in this uh proclamation that I put forth because I just thought if you put forth that much effort and you come that close, you know, to almost losing, um, but he won, but barely. Uh, yeah, I feel like he might come out flat a little bit in the next one. And I don't necessarily know that a 22-point performance is coming out flat. That's what Butler finished with. But he was 0 of 3 from the three-point line and finished 8 of 17 from the field, which isn't... Terror. I mean, that's, you know, just below 50%. How about that? How about that fucking math on the fly? You like that? You like that? Kirk Cousins style, baby. And Iguodala still out here balling. The antithesis, the bane of LeBron's existence, whether Iggy was with those great Warriors teams, of which I was uh, certainly a fan of. Never against Le- I never, like, I was living in the Bay. And the Warriors became like my favorite team. Any team LeBron's on is my favorite team. Let's just be real. Uh, but I certainly enjoyed going to the Warriors games when I lived out in the Bay Area. And they kind of became like the team. And like even before then, like 2015 um, and 2014, you know, so it's, it's like that West Coast thing. Like when I'm in college and I'm in the bar and it's 2 a.m., but I'm still looking at the TV and there's West Coast basketball or football or something like, I don't know, Steph Curry's just fun to watch. So I became a fan of those Warriors teams, but they stood in the way of LeBron, his greatness and his titles, um, not every year, but ultimately they, d- they did for a while. And, and Iggy was always on LeBron in the mix. I mean, Iggy's a good player. And I think the Heat are good. It's tough that they lost Dragic, and it's tough that they lost Bam. Um the Lakers got really lucky. There's just no other way. They've been healthy. It did look like, while I was kind of out of the corner of my eye taping this, it looked like Anthony Davis went down again. I know he was dealing with a rolled ankle from like game one or two, and uh, it looked like he was on the floor in some pain there. But honestly, I was taping this podcast so seamlessly, you would have no idea that I even had another screen in front of me. I actually had two screens. But uh, yeah, anyways, I'm just bragging and... Kind of just going off at this point. But uh, no, it feels good. Fantasy teams doing okay. All right, a little sports minute here. Fantasy teams doing okay. 
The uh, the Falcons absolutely shit themselves. I was supposed to beat the biggest shit talker I know, my friend Cameron Watkins. Cameron, I fucking love you, baby. But he is the biggest shit talker that I know, I have ever met. This kid moved up to Kentucky from Tennessee in, I think we were in like 6th or 7th grade, and the very first day he came to school. Most kids are very timid. This kid like walked right up to the group and started talking shit and was just like, I'm one of you guys, fuck you. <laughs> That's why I love you, baby. That's why I fucking love you and admire that, really. I mean, it's a trait that not many possess. Everybody wants to say that they might have that. They're lying. They don't. You do, though. But this is like one of my favorite people to talk shit to, and I thought that I was going to beat him. And uh, coming into the Monday night late game, I was really close. I was really close. And I had Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley stacked. And uh, they did not do anything. And I would say that if Bill O'Brien has already been fired, why does Dan Quinn still have a job? That one, I, I can't. I, 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 I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing over here. I, I don't know. Fire that guy. He sucks. Uh, but yeah, fantasy's going good. Um, I, I, I picked a... A, a, basically, I bet. I made a bet. Um, streaming defenses is something that I do. Not everybody does. Um, may, maybe, I mean, I'm not certainly, you know, it's not like I'm trying to say that I'm the only one that does this, but I look each week for who's the worst team in the NFL, who's the worst offense in the NFL, and what defense plays them this week and I'll pick up that defense and start them and most of the time it works out pretty well sometimes it doesn't you know shit happens there's flukes but I picked up the Rams defense this week because they were playing the New York Giants and what do you know the Rams ended up scoring 12 points in fantasy the most in the league last week and I had them across the board on all six of my teams so it was a big bet and it paid off, and it was beautiful. And I went four and two all across the six teams that I got. I know I'm a sicko, but I really just was kind of feeling it this year. And last year I really wasn't. Last year, last year I spent 12 p.m. to 2 a.m. on the couch watching the earliest games all the way until the Pac-12 games. And I would be so burnt out from sitting around and watching, you know, I don't know, 20 feasibly 20, 25 college football games that I didn't even care about but felt like I had to be an expert on to come in the next week and talk about during the week. Um, I would be so burnt out that I wouldn't even want to watch NFL games at all. Like I was so out on the NFL last week or last season and that's why I didn't even like talk about it that much on the sports radio show that I was doing because I was like I am not watching enough of these games to even begin to scratch the surface on this stuff and I just try to do mostly college stuff and I felt like you know Louisville we don't have college or we don't have pro sports teams so a lot of that is just the market you know um people are Bengals fans but Bengals talk radio isn't really driving the needle around Louisville um and neither is Colts for for that reason either and you know Tennessee Titans again it's just not really moving the needle so I did a lot of college stuff and um most of the time, fantasy football-wise, like the last two years, not going to lie, I basically rested on my laurels from having a couple of good seasons, um, maybe like three, four, five seasons ago. I've always been pretty competitive, pretty good at fantasy football. You know, it's not rocket science, but, um, you know, just getting lucky with guys staying healthy or 
uh, being active on the waiver wires or picking up guys that you think are going to pay off. I always, I chronically do this too, where I will pick up and draft these rookies that are like a year away from actually being value in the draft. But I usually waste these like kind of higher up draft picks on these rookie wide receivers and running backs thinking, oh, I'm going to get this guy that I just watched all year in college and now he's going to come in. And usually it takes about a year. You know, there are certainly exceptions to that, right? But this year I just did it differently. I went, who's the best available when I'm drafting? I'm not going to take a quarterback early. I'm not going to overpick a defense and a kicker because I used to think, like my strategy drafting used to be, I'm going to get the best position possible at every position. So I'm going to take a good quarterback probably over, you know, way too early, um, third round, you know, but get the best one. I'm going to take a kicker and a defense in, I don't know, the like way too early basically is what I'm trying to say. I don't know how many rounds are. I can't remember. But like way too early when the reality is, dude, most of the time you're going to stream your defense anyways and most of the time if you don't have a kicker on a good team that's scoring a lot of points, you might end up streaming your kicker as well. So I just went straight up running back, receiver, running back, receiver, running back, receiver, quarterback, probably in the sixth round. If Mahomes or Lamar was there in the fifth or sixth, I was taking them. And so I do have Lamar on one team. I got Mahomes on one team. I got Kyler Murray on one team. I think I took him in the seventh round of that one. Um, the one that I'm in that's a 10-man league with my friends that I've been in for like over five or six years, I have Matt Ryan, and that's the one that I really needed Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley to do well, and Ridley had been doing well, but this fucking week, man, I, it just they just absolutely look like dog shit. Ridley, despite having like five or six targets, didn't even have a single reception, so he ended up with his big fat zero, not a zip, and uh, my shit-talking friend definitely laid it on me. As a matter of fact, I think I have that video. He sent me a video. You guys want to hear you guys want to hear what a great friend my friend is. I'll put this video in so I can uh let you listen to it. I'll put it uh I you know what? I'll just go ahead and do it right now. Here's my friend Cameron talking shit to me. This is the video that I woke up to this morning. Fuck you. Hold that L. Talk that shit. Suck these nuts. You hear the way that he talks to me? Get out of here. Come on. Come on. I thought we are supposed to be friends over here. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, it goes both ways. You motherfucker. You motherfucker. <laughs> you got me this time. Next time, watch your back, all right? And watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. First of all, I don't understand these big words that you're using at me, so I'm going to take them as disrespect. Watch your mouth. All right, because both y'all gonna get clapped up when I come up in here. Both y'all, motherfucker. <laughs> that was before the world knew Kevin Hart. Okay, honestly, it's midnight and I'm just spazzing out ADHD style, so I need to go to bed. Uh, that wraps up our manic sports minute. I hope you guys enjoyed that new segment. Maybe, maybe we'll make it a new segment. Anyways, uh, Marshall Reynolds Friday. Subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Follow me on Twitter, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook. Like the page and make sure that you drink plenty of Four Roses bourbon responsibly, but drink a lot because it's that good. 
and I shouldn't even have to sell it to you. You should just be like, automatic. I'm drinking that shit because my man Betty T drinks that shit. And that's just what winners do. Top down in the winter, that's what winners do, baby. All right, I've, I've done this time. I'm really done. Everybody have an awesome couple of days. I'll talk to you on Friday, and that will be that. All right. I am Ben Tompkins, and that is Real Talk.